Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. I usually read a few books at a time, and that's usually not a good thing, but it's the way it's working right now. And One of the books I've been reading is The Goldilocks Enigma by Paul Davies. And there's some irony here because I just read the part of the book where he, he's talking about the history of science. And he mentions about how Isaac Newton was the greatest magician who ever lived. And it's often forgotten that Isaac Newton was a mystic, a theologian, and an alchemist. He was really fascinated by magic, the magic of the universe, and then he discovered some of the laws of physics and science became more non-magical in some ways. In some ways, when I look at modern science, uh, I get the feeling that they do drain the magic and the mystery from the universe. Uh, as if it's just a big machine to disassemble and put back together, not realizing that science is still about discovering the magic of the universe. I don't think that any universe that begins with a Big Bang uh, and evolves out of nothing into an ordered universe can be called anything close to normal. So today we're going to be talking about a different kind of magic. We're going to be trying to bring magic back into the world, and we're going to be talking about the magic of the mind with Tom Evans. Now, Tom Evans is an author of several books. He's host of the Zone Show podcast out of the U.K. and creator of Living Timefully, the world's first mindful approach to time management. He's a former BBC engineer who's moved from the magic of TV again to the magic of the mind. His new book is entitled New Magic for a New Era. Tom, thanks a lot for being with us today. Oh, it's a real pleasure. Thanks for a lovely introduction. Well, I am really uh, fascinated and inspired by writers and thinkers who point us towards the magic of the world because I think that as I said earlier we tend to forget how magical a place we live in from your own perspective those though for those who don't know that much about you 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 made your own sort of transition from working in industry in the media world to exploring really the magic of the mind and why don't you just talk a little bit about your own transition how you went from being an engineer to what you're doing now tom 
Well, thank you for that. Well, I think um, the transition I've been through is not one that you can choose. It kind of happens to you rather than you deciding it um, it, it happens to you. And it, and it happened um, when I was in my mid-40s. I'd um, Someone said, you look really stressed, Tom, and why don't you meditate? And I, my, my reaction was, well, I'm too busy, so you know, don't, don't ask me to do something on top of my busy schedule. And also, I, there's no way I can make my overactive mind stop so um but i persisted someone showed me some basic principles using the breath of how to meditate and what happened then was weird things started to happen that i couldn't readily explain i was you know a fairly conventional left brain scientist i'd been working in in high tech for a good 25 years uh, at, that, at that time and uh, you know and I, I i've got a gr- very good grounding in physics and electronics and i know how stuff works but weird things started to happen and the engineering me was kind of intrigued by them. I said, well, well, how did that happen? So I started to research um, this whole field, um, m- really from a, a personal perspective, because um, I was intrigued by it all. Uh, but as an engineer, I then found that some of the things that I, I looked into um, could have real practical, real uh, applications. So I started to, um, to use them. And before I knew it, I'd sort of converted myself from or being converted from an engineer and a, an IT consultant to being a, a, a creativity mentor, a writer's unblocker, and, and also a healer. Well, I think that one of the things that's, that's happening right out there, and I don't know whether you've noticed it, but I think we're having a lot uh, more people with credentials, with experience in industry, sort of shifting into this area, and I guess I'll call it the new consciousness movement. And I, about every other show, I struggle with defining what the what to call this field. But to me, I think that that only bodes well for the future. I don't think that uh, we are outliers anymore. I'm, I'm just wondering what you think about that from the UK. How how do you fit into uh, you know society now? Do you feel like you're in still an outlier or do you think that culture is expanding to encompass this this new field of consciousness yeah i think actually in the last two or three years uh, it's gone from being weird to being okay this is very intriguing we must really study this because this seems to be um uh, a, a, a more mass effect and i think the word mindfulness uh, is used quite a lot although that, that even that is a bit of a misnomer too. So my, the, the word mindfulness, the, the fact that people are, are finding that they're getting benefit from meditation in the workplace, uh, in schools, governments are meditating, everyone is doing it nowadays. Um, I think that that's great. I think it's really, really good news. But I'm, I'm like you, I sort of struggle with this word spirituality because it doesn't kind of do anything. It, it, yeah. It's almost got like a, a wrong connotation in kind of pseudo-religious terms. For me, it's just... Um, reawakening aspects of us but i do find still that i have to have two personas we live in what what's called a duality i think even most um, quantum physicists would would agree with that um and in this duality um i have to be tom the mystic healer and alchemist but also tom the the guy who writes books and helps people get through writer's block and because there's two types of people out there that i appeal to people that um are awakened and get it and people that are awakening and haven't quite got it i had to almost have two personas and i struggled with that for a while but now it's sitting very comfortably uh, with me and, and maybe that is because the energy has shifted and the perception out there is it's okay to be kind of weird 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's sort of like it, it it's become sort of like a uh, sort of a, a joke in a way. I mean, I I say to uh, a lot of people, um, yeah, I'm crazy, but I'm crazy in a good way. And uh, it reminds me of there's a song by Seal, and uh, and the, the song is called Crazy. And one of the one of the the lines in that song is something like uh, in a, in a uh, sky full of people, only some want to fly. Isn't that crazy? And and I and you know it's it's a top ten hit. It's it's about twenty years old that song, mm. but but it sort of it, it sort of brings home. And we sing these songs, you know, it's sort of like a an aspect of art where art, the artists in many ways are ahead of science. You know, they they see things in a different way. And one and I've always loved that line because it's like why why aren't we uh, expecting more and wanting more out of life? Why why do we keep our heads down in the sand and view ourselves as being some kind of finite mechanical creatures? But but this is this is all this is all good. Now when you say um, you know there's people that are awakening and getting it, what do you mean by well, what are they getting? Well, I think they're mainly getting that there can be a different way that you know, life doesn't have to be a struggle. Uh, it's not a given that we have to get old, deteriorate, and die. Uh, we, we we can extend our longevity. We can uh, live um, a healthy life. We can actually live an abundant life as well. And life doesn't have to be a struggle. It's not a given that uh, things have to be hard. And especially in spiritual circles as well, it, 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 there seemed to be a kind of movement that you know you had to be poor. Um, and, and and live a, a, the life of an aesthetic. I, I feel um, I'm working with a lot of people now that are doing some wonderful things and living in the flow of abundance, health, wealth, and everything. Yeah, and I think it's a lot of this in my mind is sort of breaking out of the other roles that we've been uh, raised with or our culture imposes on us. These slots where you where you go to mass and you pray and you learn science. And you do your job, you retire, and then you do nothing. I mean, a lot of this is breaking those old molds. I think. What do you think about? Is, is that part of this? Is is doing? Is finding? Is finding a new way? Yeah, well, I think. I think that the, the, one of the tendencies that you you say, look, I've got this new way, therefore the old ways not very good but to me i think it's a it's a mix of the two so i was raised at a roman catholic um i call myself an agnostic humanist these days whatever that means but i don't go to church i don't pray um i don't i, I believe in a god but i keep my own beliefs to myself i don't want anyone to follow what i do or to create any new religion or anything like that um but and so I, I kind of i used to not like religion but now i kind of like it and i appreciate what it's done it's kept it's kept us safe for a while and likewise you know when i started to find this new way it, it was kind of tempting to to say oh science is bunkum materialistic science is bunkum but we wouldn't be having this conversation over skype if it wasn't for for science and uh so to me it's about uh, finding a new way but also keeping the best of the old ways as well, you know, and, and, and through that, we're going to achieve some amazing things uh, in this century. We will get to a new uh, level of awareness. We'll have a different relationship with disease. Uh, we will have a different relationship with, with the cosmos. We'll, we'll find out that um, everything is alive. Um, even, even a rock is alive. Every single planet and star has got a consciousness. Uh, and we're all part of an amazing web. 
Um, yeah. And when when we discover all of that, then eventually uh, we'll also end up with a new set of equations that will make sense and and sort of fit with Newtonian mechanics, uh, Einsteinian relativity, and uh, and give us a grand universal theory of everything. Yeah, and I hope that the grand universal theory of everything includes includes human consciousness. Uh, which is which is one thing that we tend to leave out of the equation, and sometimes I, I think that it's it's sort of like studying a mirror. You know, science studies this mirror; they think the mirror is apart from them, and then they realize that they're really studying a facet of themselves. And I think that we are we are undergoing that process right now. And uh, you know, I don't want to get into the fine tuning of the universe and all this, but it's it's sort of like I think we're learning that we're part of the universe, and and that leads me to to sort of try to unpack uh, your your new book, New Magic for a New Era here, which I think uh, is has got some really insightful sections too, and some really good tips, and I I, I think that um, it's something that everybody should pick up and read. What was your inspiration for that book? Well, um, my mother passed away last year, yeah. and um, I just had a bit of a reset, um, and I'd written 10 books at the time. So I took on a, a business coach a couple of months afterwards and said, look, what should I do next? You know, I've got several projects that I could do, but I wanted somebody that didn't know me very well, um, but also I, but someone I respected. So I found this business coach, a lady called Leo Woodward. And she said to me, Tom, well, I can see you've written all these books and you've got all these amazing uh, programs like the Living Time Plea program. She said, but you'd never told your story. And my, my response was, well, I've actually had a pretty blessed life. I've landed on my feet all the time. And uh, she said, that's the story. So there's so many personal development books out there where somebody's gone to the edge, got some sort of enlightenment and come back from it. And, and that's that story. But how about telling the story about how to live life the easy way? So we, we brainstormed it a bit and uh, she convinced me to do it. And I said, um, well, let's start with, you know, everyone complains about not having enough money. So let's let's start with how you manifest enough money any, and just enough money, not to be not to be stinking rich, but just to have enough money to do whatever you like at any time. And then I think I move on to time. A lot of people use time as the excuse for not doing things and how you can uh, bend and stretch time. And that was one of the weird things that happened. I started to to see through time and bend time and stop time and do all sorts of weird, uh, wonderful things with it. And and so that was the inspiration, to tell the story about how to live a charmed and magical life without having to go to hell and back. Yeah, that is that is really what, what the book does. And I I like you to talk a little bit about how how you define magic or, or what you mean by magic. Because you, you seem to have experienced some of the inner magic to the world through your transition through this first um, sort of step or or, or uh, epiphany you had but but what do you mean by by discovering magic well that's a great question Philip I think that the first thing to understand about magic is this is that it's only magic until we know how it's done right so I'm talking about stuff which is on the cusp of scientific uh, understanding and so when we understand it and we kind of use it then it, it ceases to become magic but it can still be entrancing and entertaining so let me give you some examples of, of magic that have happened to me that caused me to go down this 
this route. So I started to meditate, and at the time I was writing a novel, um, which I kind of finished, but then I became a better writer at the end of it than I was at the beginning. And actually, it's going to be my next project. The next stuff I want to write about uh, is so fantastical that I think it, it has to come out in fiction rather than mm. non-fiction. But anyway, I, I, I had a book um, mentor at the time, and she said to me, don't try and research while you're writing, otherwise you'll never finish it. So just make a note in the comments that you need to look at it later. And I was uh, I was writing about um, uh, this cosmic journey, scientists, a bit of science fiction, uh, future history. And I wanted for the plot for Mars and the Earth to be on opposite sides of the sun at a date 116 years in the future. So I wrote any old date down. And then um, it went on my writing day, which is a Friday. And then I found an online solar system, and I wound the solar system on to the date that I'd picked out at random. And on the very date that I'd picked at random, Mars and the Earth were exactly where I wanted them be, <laughs> yeah, to be. That's good. So things like that, a bit of prescience, which is uh, a, a well-known kind of phenomenon. Uh, Leonardo and, and Newton were, were champions of that. Um, started to be able to heal just with a thought and do some amazing healings, like uh, fixing broken arms uh, and that kind of thing. Uh, also, uh, one of the stories I, I talk about in the book is healing a budgie over Skype in Canada. So, you know, weird things like that. So you can imagine that this, the power of the mind might work in terms of suggestion on a human, but when you find you can heal a budgie uh, who's communicating on a different level, that's kind of a bit weird. But I guess yeah. the weirdest thing that happened to me was um, a full-body levitation. Um, and and so, and so and since that happened, uh, what, what would happen is something would happen, and I'd go like, cool, that was weird, and then I'd kind of research how it might have been done. I've not been able to repeat that, but I do know the physics of it now, and I kind of remember the state I got into to cause it to, to happen. So these are all what I'd call magic, because they're, they're, they're outside almost bending the laws of physics as, as we know them. But uh, my, my personal belief is, is within a very few uh, years, tens of years of that, we'll understand how they're done, how we can utilise them and embrace them. So at that point, the magic ironically ceases to become magic anymore. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Tom Evans, the author of the new book, New Magic for a New Era, and we're talking about finding magic in our modern world. And, you know, sometimes, uh, Tom, I think that that we are really just understanding, rising to a greater understanding of the world we live in. As like you say, uh, when we when we unravel and maybe comprehend the magic, it might not be as magical anymore, although I, I still think there'll be aspects of magic. But I think that... In moving towards this area, and in, I would include things like uh, near-death experiences, the uh, parapsychology, you just mentioned levitation, uh, uh, faith healing or energy healing. These things have to be real to, to really be powerful. And I think that that's something that's going on right now, I think, uh, out there in our world is that we have more and more people understanding that this is real. This is not just some kind of, of flight of the imagination. I, I take it that that's your your view here. That that that's what that that is what is giving this field its energy. The fact that it's real. 
yeah it's it's as real as it's as real as anything that we might call reality right. so um and and i think what's happening is is that we're actually in a very exciting time where in the past if you go back let's say uh, millions of years to um pre self-aware humanoids um and where evolution uh, and the the getting of the word if you like and, and having internal dialogue and being able to verbalize like this was a kind of external event um, or something that happened to humans now what we can do is is actually dictate our own evolution going forward and, and have, a, have a hand in it but also to see humans on planet earth especially as just um, an aspect of consciousness uh, and also a very small part of the, the biomass and that our our real role is as as guardians and caretakers for the planet, as well as being, let's say, the what was traditionally thought to be the most dominant um, creatures on the planet. But you know, we, we represent a very small percentage of the biomass. So um, I think that the exciting times going forward is is to magically uh, gear um, more of heaven down on Earth, um, so we can all enjoy this fantastic experience of being on this planet at this special time. Let's talk a little bit about some of the hallmarks of this new era, and you've touched upon some of them, but we have a lot of people, including yours truly, we talk about a new world, um, we have people talking about the, sh the world shifts, and you use the term new era, even though a lot of this is speculative, what are some of the the differences that you'll see, that you think we're going to see in the new era i think um some of the differences are going to be very um concrete so i think that that when you see um a problem in the world um uh, an entrepreneur will see an opportunity so if you see a world where there's maybe a billion people that are obese and a billion people that are hungry, then it's clear that there has to be some redressing of that balance. And so through that problem of having to tackle obesity uh, in, let's say, what's called the first world and in the third world, tackling hunger and working at a global level, when a solution comes about for that by collective awareness of it mainly, then that's a, isn't that a wonderful thing to have yeah. tackled? You know, so we're in the in 2015 now. Let's say that this is tackled in in 15 years. A big tick to humanity for 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 doing that. When we look at um, uh, in the UK, I'm sure this is the case in the in the US as well. We're living longer, uh, and more people are getting dementia. Uh, and also less people have been born as well. So we've got a, an aging population that's growing and we really haven't got systems in place to, to look after them. And so coming up with a, a global solution for that would be great. The, the healthcare system in the UK is free currently, so it's not the same as the US, but it's, it's really uh, overburdened and under a lot of stress. And if less people got ill and by taking responsibility for their own well-being on board. So rather than saying, look, I'm ill, I must go to the doctor, getting to the position of awareness where you don't get ill at all uh, by either lifestyle education or, or other kind of practices, I think would be marvellous. So these are some of the, the big things that we can we can tackle. So th this isn't even science. This is just, you know, this is just well-being. And, and I love hyphenating words as well, or yeah. separating words. So uh, having, a, uh, if you like, a, a race of well-beings would be a marvellous thing to achieve. Yeah, it seems as if, as you were talking, it, the thought hit me that, you know, it seems as if the physical is rushing to keep up with the spiritual transformation. 
and and you use the term and this is one of your hyphen terms the dis disease mm-hmm. which and we have a lot of people in this in the healing field talking about this this misalignment of body and spirit and this is this is something that i think is coming out of this i mean it's it's a little unfortunate as you point out people are living longer but dementia is increasing well there that's got to be there's we have to have a fix for that that's not what a lot of people think about when they envision living longer you know they want to they want to live longer in a healthy way right they, we, we want to stay vibrant longer what what do you think about the the uh the medical science of the future or 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 why don't you talk a little bit about about how you view the healing angle here because in your book you do talk a lot about the eastern versus western uh healing modalities what do you think is the root cause of our disease uh, again i don't think it's um uh I don't think we should throw Western medicine out because some marvelous things have happened. You know, if you were to to break a leg and have to go and get fixed up, then um, the 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 mechanic the mechanistic um, uh, care that we can get nowadays, our understanding of, of of bodily functions and how things can be fixed, is actually nothing short of of, of marvelous. Yes. But um, but the, take take dementia as an example. There's so many cases now, so many studies that have been taken where regular meditation and keeping an active mind d- delays the onset of 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 dementia so so it's it's almost like we've got to take this on board we've got to take our old age on board when we're educating uh children so i think that the 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 new medicine is going to be very preventative you know so instead of uh succumbing to a disease uh we'll we'll have a lifestyle where we're less susceptible to taking that on board and by spending a little bit of money on education we'll save a lot of money in in healthcare. Yeah, and that same goes for uh, nutrition and all that kind of stuff. And I, I like, I, I love gastronomy. I love having a glass of wine and stuff like that. So I'm not talking about people having aesthetic life, lifestyles and becoming vegan and this kind of thing, but just eating uh, healthier. But I can't remember the last time I had a uh, a Big Mac. That might have been. I don't want to mention any particular products, but I've not had a a burger from a, a chain for a good twenty years or so. You know. So, um, so, but, but, you know, I might have a, a bag of chips or uh, something that would be called unhealthy. Now and again, it's all about moderation and uh, and also how you feel when you're taking it on board. Sometimes just the the very guilt that you might that you shouldn't be doing something can actually have a worse effect than the thing itself. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, I think that, uh, to me, it's a natural development. In other words, when when this urge to improve, to transcend, is something that comes from, from the inside, that's when it becomes really effective. And I think that your your emphasis on education here is is right on because through education and uh, by sort of nurturing the human spirit, educating the human spirit, I think that that's where we we start sort of understanding sort of the the expanse of of the human experience, and we start taking more responsibility. And that is something that you talk about in your book. In, in 
in addition in the field of healing, you talk about how responsibilities for health lies with the patient. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I can't remember the last time I've been to a doctor. Yeah. I just don't go. In fact, yeah. I got called in the other day because I'd not had my, my blood measured for about four years and they were a bit alarmed I'd not been to see them. Yeah. And so I've taken in if I if I'm ill, the first thing I'll do is say, OK, what is wrong in my life? What 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 haven't I paid attention to? What is the sign? Yes. Uh, and that could be a physical illness um, uh, or it could be uh, uh, a repetitive thought pattern or something like that or, or, or queasy feeling. So if there's if I'm not well, then it's down to me. First, the first point of contact is is not to come to the drugs cupboard or or something. It's to actually look at what I'm doing in my life to cause that illness to to come to visit me. What is the lesson for it? And then if we scale that up to uh, to everybody, it's and uh, but you can only do that with education. So you can only do that. With, so what what is that? What is that symptom? What does that really tell me about what's going on? And and then I think that and and this is already happening that a lot of people in, in uh, allopathic medicine actually do do energy healing, but kind of under the radar at the moment as mm. well. And a lot of cancer wards have got people who come in and do Reiki and this sort of stuff. Now, I, I, don't, I don't really call myself a healer, but I do do, uh, if someone turns up, I had a, a journalist in the other day I was teaching uh, meditation uh, to, he was uh, doing a piece on meditation in the local paper. And just during the session, I picked up that he had a pain in his shoulder and at the end of the session, I said, "Oh, by the way, has that pain gone in your in your shoulder?" So just so so the point being is, if I ex BBC engineer uh, can be trained to be a healer, and I I wasn't that particular person until I was in my mid forties. Anybody can be trained to be a healer. The, the principles are quite uh, uh, very very teachable, and it's not like you know some people might think of being born psychic or gifted or what have you. I think everybody can be uh, trained and upskilled in in these. Um, wonderful healing arts well i think that there's something that is very important that you mentioned here mm. which is that if you approach diseases as being your responsibility first and you examine yourself you examine let me call it your your internal state or your emotional mental state and you look within before you rush to the doctor and start taking medicine because i i also think that this new area, this new field we're in, a new era, is a transcendence, is a uh, evolution, if you will, of where we're at. I don't, I do not think that we throw medical science out the window. Nor do I think you throw what we call technology out the window. I think that it is a realignment of these tools for the betterment of humanity, and that, that's sort of, I think, where we're where we're exactly on the same uh, course here and and a lot of folks i mean i don't i don't think that if you break your leg or in a car accident that you sit down and you meditate there are the uh, the gifts of medical science are are very important on the other hand if we are really multi-dimensional creatures uh, as as you say or three-dimensional distillations of multi-dimensional intelligences which we'll get into in a second here then we should sort of understand that rooting, that grounding, and use it to our benefit and our direct benefit. Uh, 
is is our health. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Tom Evans, the author of the new book, New Magic for a New Era. He's also the host of the popular podcast, The Zone, out of the U.K. And, and Tom, I just mentioned this um, this notion of that you write about in your book, and the quote is, we are three-dimensional distillations and projections of multidimensional intelligences. And for those uh, who think that um, we're, we're limiting this discussion to new consciousness and, and, and energy healing, uh, here at this point we're going to go a little farther. Uh, because I really love this quote that I just read, the three-dimensional distillations. What do you mean by that? Well, um, when I started to look into this weird stuff that I mentioned yeah. Yeah. after starting to meditate, I found that I'm, I'm a great, um, I'm a subscriber to Scientific American and New Scientists over in the UK, so I love looking at what scientists are coming up with. But at the same time, I found there was a whole area that was just wasn't covered by this kind of literature. So I'd, I started looking at uh, esoteric writings, and I, st- I started to study the tarot. Now, I, uh, like many people, I, I maybe bucketed the tarot in with the Ouija board as being something yeah. that the devil's work and something that shouldn't be touched. Yeah. And um, But I actually found out that uh, the tarot isn't a tool for divination or fortune telling it actually describes us and there's two there's two parts to a, a tarot deck the first uh, deck is, is the major arcana and that's divided into 22 cards and i wrote a book about this called flavors of thought so what i did was i, t- I took that ancient wisdom from um from the tarot and then uh used it in a very practical way to create um what effectively are modern day spells that really work and 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 these are, are called recipes for fresh thinking. But so that the major arcana describes the twenty-two modes in which we can think, and the minor arcana, uh, the four suits of the minor arcana, describe the multi-dimensional aspect of us. And I wrote a book about that too, called Planes of Being. And at the same time, I was doing this this research and writing. I went on a past life regression course, and I started to be able to see uh, past and future lives in people's auras. And this is something I've, I've been able to teach. I can teach pretty much anyone how to do this, and it even works over Skype, which is kind of weird. Hmm. And so I started to see this multidimensional aspect of us in people. So it's it's not just it's something you can experience. Well, I don't think that a video camera could pick it up per se, because I think it's it's perceived by your your third eye. But um, who knows? Why don't we make that one of the things that we'll try and do this 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 century? So you, this this aspect of us, um, a lot of things make sense when we see ourselves as multidimensional creatures. So first is that time as we experience it is linear and it goes forwards. Yeah, I can um, look at somebody's, um, I can scan someone's body, see the time in the past when a disease came about, heal it in the past and it instantly heals in, mm. in the present. So that's, an, that's a, a practical example of working multidimensionally, but in a, in a 3D distillation. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's sort of, to me, it pushes the the field of new consciousness almost almost to the limit and but you're not the first person that I that I've interviewed that has talked about past life regressions and let me try to for listener let me try to tie some things together here to, to show that there is likely some truth to this and that is with near death experiences as made famous by many writers 
including Moody, uh, PM Atwater, and of course Eben Alexander with the Proof of Heaven. What they write about to me is makes sense if you talk about if you look at it as a multiple dimension, another dimension. Then we have this thing called reincarnation, which a lot of people, billions of people, believe in reincarnation, which is sort of a a movement of spirit through time. And and the, and the last thing I'm going to say, which is to Tom, I think, sort of bizarre is that if you get into the laws of science and read read something by Hawking or Penrose, uh, they talk about how, how the laws of science are time asymmetric, which, they, which means they work in reverse. At least they're supposed to work in reverse. So you, so you, stir, all, so you stir that all together, and past life regression starts making some sense. And so I think that this is, this is sort of a... A fascinating thing. Now, but from a very practical standpoint, when when you I like to unpack this a little bit. When you look at somebody that you just said and you see their their or their past life aura, what exactly do you see? Is it something you sense emotionally, or do you actually see like a a shadow or something like that? Yeah, it's a little bit like a CGI effect. You know, we've yeah. ever seen um, Pirates of the Caribbean when. Yeah. The pirates come out of the sea and they they go from flesh to um, to a skull. Yeah, it's almost like that effect that the person in front of you uh, disappears mm. and you see a past life version of them appears in front mm. of you. Now, that, now just to put this in context, even though I can see past lives in people's auras, I've got very little um, memory of my own past lives, yeah. and also. Um, also, there's a scientific explanation for it is that the DNA acts as a kind of resonance, if you like. So all you're doing is you're tuning into a different aspect of the DNA. And I don't think that Tom or Philip come back in another life. I think that you know, maybe our soul continues, but there might, won't be another Tom and there won't be another Philip. So I've, kind of deep, I've got a depersonalized uh, view of it. But also, even if it isn't true, what does seem to be true is that imagining that it is true can have a great effect on someone in the now. Yeah. So even if it's just a figment of the imagination, you can do some amazing healing with it. And I've had people that have come to see me with um, uh, like a rash, like a Lyme's disease and stuff like that, and it's almost like the rash disappears uh, in front of your eyes because you see a point in time when they didn't have the rash. And uh, using a, I, I use the, the the model of morphic resonance by Rupert Sheldrake, the idea right. that we we hold this pattern of ourselves, uh, in which forms our being, and it's almost like the the body is formed from the aura, as opposed to from the other way around. But the, the, there's a pattern of ourselves where we have this rash on our leg, but also there was a pattern in the past where we didn't have that rash. And if you if you soften time, uh, and and allow that that version of a person to go a little bit soft and squidgy in a kind of time way, I know it's not a very scientific term, uh, then you can allow the, the old resonance to come into the fore and distill in the now. It's kind of kind of weird, um, but it, 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 that, that's the way I describe it. So it's not, it's not that I imagine in it. it, it, it my, my vision changes and I see um, a different person in front of me. And by the way, it works both ways. You can see future lives as well. Yeah, I, I, I love the way you... You framed it by saying that even if it's not true, it's it's productive to imagine as if it's true. It becomes it becomes a sort of a healing technique. 
And whether it's actually true or not maybe is secondary because the question is, does it work? Does it work for healing? And I think anybody would say, well, if it's sort of like a quasi-hypnosis. Maybe maybe that's one way to look at it. You, you put yourself under this different state of mind, and you use sort of like a deep-rooted belief to sort of uh, extract the disease. Uh, I think that's really cool. I think that's really a... And it's refreshing, too, Tom, I think, to approach it like you're doing from a very scientific standpoint, because Lord knows um, science itself goes on these thought journeys as well. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm open to um, teaching, experimenting. To me, when we, when we find out something like this, it's not something we should feel embarrassed about and try and shove under the carpet. Well, this is open for research. And you know, I've, I've, for a long time, I've been able to um, experience light bulb moments on demand. I, in fact, I even wrote a book about that, how you just get an idea out of the ether. And, and I'd love to be put into an MRI scanner and, and get into that state. I know how I can get into that state pretty much instantly. And, and, and let's get some science around this uh, uh, etheric, esoteric stuff. I'd love to experiment and play. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's really cool. Now, where, where does karma fit into this? You also talk about karma, and you have a little different spin on it. What, what's your view of where karma fits in? Well, I should first say that uh, even in the Christian religion, which uh, kind of doesn't really buy into reincarnation, uh, reincarnation was part of Christianity uh, right. pre-AD um, 325. The Council of Nicaea decided to get rid of it because it was inconvenient. So, uh, so reincarnation is, is kind of in our in our genes, in our DNA. And but when people talk about karma. Uh, that word has been somewhat hijacked, and it's you know as some sort of cosmic ledger of all the good you've done and the the bad you've done. To me, karma is about learning. It's about the sum total of all your learning to date. That's all it means. So you know that um, mathematical term, the the the, the differential over time right. of everything we've done. So karma is everything we've learned to date. All that's good and bad, that's what it means. It means that where we are as a being, all of, all the experiences we've had, uh, all the things that we know, all the things we don't know, all the things that we are yet to experience are kind of wrapped up in our in our karmic bubble, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I see. I see. Well, that's, that puts it into sort of a very practical uh, uh, sense that everybody has karma, whether they realize it or not, and it's something that you cannot run away from. I mean, I, I like to think that we are a product of, and I'll use the word karma, we are a product of our karma, not just not just our spiritual self, but also our bodies. See, this is where I'm, I'm at with this. I mean, I, I think that our bodies, we are, we are a, a vehicle uh, for our karma. So I, I um, as I said at the beginning of the show, I, I have my own craziness, um, and part of this whole discussion, part of this whole movement, I think, Tom, is trying to put some of these ideas into practical sort of quote-unquote scientific terms so that they, so that we gain some traction here. Now, the other, the other, uh, you talk about guardians and caretakers, which, another, which is another uh, term, terms that I, I really agree with, and some some folks say, "Well, where do, where do you get this guardians and caretakers from? What do you what do you mean by that? We are guardians of of the world, or however you framed it." 
Well, now we've got eyes in the sky and we can see what's happening to the planet. Uh, it gives us a new perspective. And, and what we're now enjoying, the world we enjoy today, is the the product of the imaginations of our forefathers and foremothers. So, uh, you know, Newton d- doing all that work back four or five hundred years ago, uh, the Industrial Revolution uh, and the Scientific Revolution of the early 20th century has led to us enjoying the world that we're doing now. So the imaginations of people a hundred years ago affect what we're doing now. In the same way, our imagination and our deeds right now are going to affect what happens to our children and our grandchildren uh, going down the line. Now, if you believe in reincarnation, then it's, it's possible that you might have to come back and be in the world that you're doing, uh, you're creating right yeah. now. So it makes sense to look after the world. And so um, as self-aware beings, and as far as we know, we're the only self-aware beings on the, the planet, then maybe whales and uh, dolphins might disagree with that, hmm. um, and, and some birds as well. So uh, this, this, this budgie in Canada, I think, uh, has got a certain level of awareness that we might not give it credit to. Um, so, But as self-aware beings, we have a responsibility uh, as the self-awareness of the planet to look after the planet because as far as we know it's the only planet in the whole of the cosmos that can support this kind of life at this moment in time now obviously as a betting person i'd say there's got to be some more life out there it just might be a long distance away and we haven't kind of recognized how it intercommunicates but um as far as we know this is the only place to to hang out safely uh, and have this experience therefore we ought to look after the planet caretake it and, and and look after it as guardians not least because we might have to come back to it ourselves in a few hundred years' time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, I think that it's part of responsibility, and this is what I was saying earlier, that as if we move up the ladder of consciousness and we become more aware of who we are and the world we live in, you know, we have a responsibility for our health, but, but moving up the ladder of consciousness, you start becoming aware that you are also responsible for your family and then your community and then your country and then the world, etc. And it, if we don't take responsibility for the world, there's nobody else is going to do it. The dolphins aren't going to do it, and the apes are not going to do it. And I think that this, this idea of being guardians, caretakers, is extremely important because even though modern science... Uh, wants it at, at its in its best days wants to protect the planet by such things as global warming pollution they're they don't really they're they're not all in they're not all in on things like poverty and homelessness homelessness there are there are a lot of advances in in um, growing crops and feeding people and I think this is where Tom, we we see some sort of a synergy between some of the things we're talking about here, which is greater responsibility, greater consciousness, understanding things more, and then using the tools of science towards the betterment of more people. And I, that's something you do talk about, and I, I in your book, and I like to move to this now because I think this is where things get get um, really exciting. Uh, the the hundred the hundredth monkey effect is something you mm. that I love, and I like you to talk about where where this fits into your thinking. Well, I think that, that to describe the effect, the the effect is if a hundred monkeys on an island uh, learn how to use a, a stick to get honey out of a tree, uh, it's been documented that 
monkeys on neighbouring islands that are only are not connected uh, pick up that same trick. Um, I should mention that, I, um, that it's the it's not just the Earth physically that we are guardians of, but also the the Earth as a consciousness too. That what's called the newosphere around the Earth. Sure. And so one of the um, themes that I've started to explore, and I'll probably explore more in my fiction uh, than in, in non-fiction books going forward is that uh, there's a web of consciousness across the whole cosmos. And as we get to a certain point uh, in collective awareness on this planet, so so when enough people switch on to a certain level of awareness, everyone else will get it by inference. So you, you, you don't need that many people, maybe a million or so people, to be working at a certain level of awareness. And I don't mean this in any elitist kind of way. Um, but just in terms of a, a number of people that are, are, are tuned at a certain vibration, then then it, the population starts to get it by osmosis, if you know what I mean. Everyone sort of picks it up in, in a kind of nice in, infection, in the same way that a negative infection could could also take hold and, and, and decimate uh, populations. But at the same time, we get this level of awareness the cosmos, the, the the planet also gains another le level of awareness, and that ripples around the cosmos, and all planets get uh, uh, are raised at the same time. Now that might sound a bit fanciful, and a bit out there, and a bit weird, and, uh, but I've got um, one of the things that I've started to do is to channel, um, and I teach channeling how to to bring any. Um, any knowledge in uh, from the collective consciousness and this is some of the information that I'm kind of picking up and some of it comes in in dreams a lot of it I'll express in writing um, but it, this is there's a big bigger game afoot than just about humans on old planet earth it's about the uh, raising of the level of awareness uh, at, right across the cosmos uh, universal level well I think that there is a lot there's a lot of uh, credibility to the hundred monkey effect not only has it been observed mm -hmm. right i mean it's it's a real it's a real effect but then you've got you've got the field of clairvoyance and parapsychology and there's all sorts of studies experiments about about um communications uh at, at rem or remote viewing and feeling what other people are doing who are thousands of miles away and then you've got the famous action at a distance from quantum theory which has continued to um, bedevil modern science the notion that two particles that are that are farther away than the speed of light can communicate can still communicate with each other through some interconnection uh, interconnecting web and that one particular concept has spawned you know hundreds of books and hundreds of chapters of science books the whole notion of of action at a distance and so to to imagine that uh what happens at one part of the of the sphere of the of the planet earth through in consciousness can affect another part of the sphere is not so unusual and i think that there is it's it's a beautiful i think it's a beautiful idea and i and i really like it and moving moving to, uh to that point as we approach the end here um a lot of people may be thinking well this is really cool but hot but what does it mean for me and maybe you could just give a couple maybe tips or ideas for people that want to bring more magic into their into their lives. What what are some things that that we could all do to sort of open ourselves up to being more magical? 
Well, that's a great question. I think as a as an engineer, um, I've always been very mindful to keep this all very grounded and keep it very practical. So the first thing we can do, uh, and I've, if, if you want to play with this on my website, there's a free version of this, uh, is, is meditate for 10 minutes every day. Now, if, like me, you think you haven't got time for this, then I advise you to take the time because every minute you spend in meditation, it's reckoned you'll get added to your longevity anyway. But more importantly, throughout each day, if you meditate for 10 minutes in the morning, you'll have a better day, so you'll save that 10 minutes back. So the first practical thing um, I think everyone should do is take 10 minutes of chill me time every single day. The world, will, we, you'll be calmer, the world will be calmer, we'll all get more things done, and we'll be living in a better planet. And it's healthy as well, because you, know, you reduce your blood pressure, reduce your stress and everything else. So it all starts with that 10 minutes of meditation. I want to see it in schools, I want to see it in, in companies, uh, in, in businesses and that sort of stuff. So, so that's the first practical thing I do, is, is to spend a bit of time meditating. There's a meditation on my website called Be Calm, and it takes you through the three methods of meditation. Meditation on the breath, meditation on a mantra, and meditation on thought itself. Well, that I think that's that's really uh, good practical advice, and you know I'm also a subscriber to Scientific American, Tom, and I think what is a couple months ago they had a, the cover story was about meditation, and then we hear about Sam Harris, one of the noted four horsemen atheists who. He's known for being an atheist, but he's also a big supporter of, of meditation. And uh, I've been trying it myself, and and uh, it is it is really a good technique. And I I love that you yourself started your new journey, or your renewed journey through meditation. And uh, it's something that I don't think you can argue against it. So you have a lot going on. So why don't you? tell people you already mentioned your website a couple of times but why don't you tell folks uh how to find out more about what you're doing yeah the the website is quite simple it's uh www.tomevans.co that's just .co not .com or .co.uk just .co and um i, I should also mention that this meditation uh, that's on the website and the hundredth monkey effect kind of link together so the state that i'm in when i record my meditations um, is a deep trance state and by listening to this meditation you'll get into that same trance state which is kind of useful so the same stuff that I do to bring magic into my world you will start to see in, in your world so TomEvans.co is the best place to find me I'm all over Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest and all that kind of stuff too um, and uh, yeah and, and, and I should also emphasise that as far as I'm concerned this is all about having fun having a good time and, uh, and not doing it to the detriment of others so there's kind of a, a playfulness to it all too and, and, and not taking everything too seriously uh, but also um, very much a line of inquiry really to, uh, to, to while we're on planet earth to see how much we can evolve and get from being here and, and being self-aware beings in this very special place at this very special time yeah that's that's a great that's a great capsulization tom and i i love the the way you you emphasize the fact that this is fun too because this is not some kind of serious march uh, you know, uh, into oblivion here, uh, and, and in ending the 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 point I want to make to to just back up your emphasis on playfulness is that we are, in my view, living in a magical 
place, a magical world. It's it's with an open mind, we see it with our with our eyes. It's staring in front of us, and we should be ecstatic that we are lucky to be living in in such a place that supports us that's got this unlimited potential it leads to to me uh play fun and and humor because we should be giddy over the fact that we have so much going on so much to live for and and such an unlimited future uh, this is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Tom, thank you very much. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I recommend his book, uh, New Magic for a New Era, and check out his website. Uh, it's a mind-opening um, sort of adventure into the magic of the world, and it's something that you can't get enough of. This is Philip Camella again, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.